Hello, is this thing on? Do you think they can hear us? Nah, let's say it again. Hi, and welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. My name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or any other podcast listening platform, don't forget to subscribe so you can get updates to when we have our latest episodes. Also, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you like what you're hearing and you love our advocacy work, don't forget to go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the donate button. As little as $1 or $2 a month for a total of $12 a year will help us with our monthly podcast costs such as website hosting, our hosting platform, audio equipment, and the time and energy it takes us to put out good quality episodes. We thank you and we appreciate you. Hi and welcome. This week has been somewhat of a dumpster fire. I don't know if you've been seeing all the memes on Twitter, Sarah, but I I think that this this whole weekend has been kind of crazy. And I mean, I'm glad we're going to get into this fourth wave episode. I know we've been intentionally trying to stay away from talking about COVID-19 because um, it's kind of depressing. (laughs) I mean, we're 18 months in. I don't know where the light at the end of the tunnel is. Like I know we're we have really good vaccination rates. The uptick is really good, but we're still seeing, you know, the Delta variant is out there. It's it's ravaging and it's it's going through people at an alarming rate. Um and particularly it's affecting the unvaxxed. So why don't we get into this episode? For those of you who have been listening to us for a while, we did an initial COVID episode when everything went down. This was in March of 2020. I think we kind of did a first wave episode and we've intentionally avoided doing more. But I think at this point, we're at the fourth wave. I'm, I keep saying at each wave that I hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I truly, truly mean it this time. I think back to when this all started and we compared this COVID to the 1918-1919 Spanish flu. And from from the research that I was able to find, they had two waves. Now, that's not to say that there weren't more, but two that we know of. And I kept thinking in my head that this would end after two waves. Can you imagine if this did actually end after the second wave? Like, I would be so relieved. This would have cut this time in half. But anyway, here we are. Um, I feel like nursing is in a very unique place right now, um, a dark place, to be honest. Um, yeah. But I'm hoping that this episode, we can discuss a little bit of that and how we can kind of focus on the positives and look to the light at the end of the tunnel. No, I hear you. I I, I feel the same way. Like, I mean, we did our our global news interview on Monday and, you know, the, the first question we were like, well, where the hell is Doug Ford? Like, this is insane. Like, I mean, the fact that, you know, like you said, we're in our fourth wave, where's the leadership, where is, you know, the stance of saying, okay, you know, the status quo or the bare minimum is not good enough. They're actually using words like, you know, we need to do the bare minimum, the bare minimum isn't good enough. If, if people haven't noticed that the bare minimum hasn't been good enough, I mean, you need to give yourself a good shake because 
this is insanity now. Like I have to say that a lot of what's happening is driven by social behavior. And again, this is where we have to talk about who we're typically seeing and what are some of the concerns with the fourth wave. And the main thing, and I guess the main group of people that we are seeing is they call it now the fourth wave of the unvaccinated. So the majority of the patients who are requiring hospitalization are unvaccinated. Now that's not to say that people who have had the COVID-19 vaccine won't get infected. That's a whole other argument because people are like, oh my gosh, what's the point of getting a vaccine if you're going to get it? Well, the difference is morbidity versus mortality. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> that that's the main difference. So if, if it's like, you know, there's a chance that you will not likely die versus a chance that you will die. I think I'd go with the like not likely versus the, you know, um, I might end up in the ICU prone on a ventilator. So that's a whole other piece that we need to talk about this whole wave of the unvaccinated. Yeah. And I think I I really just want to talk a little bit more about misinformation because Mm -hmm. I think so in the first wave, you know, we were just figuring out this virus and the second wave, we thought we had it under control, but obviously masks and social distancing aren't the whole solution. And then the vaccines came onto, you know, they came out you know, we were like, okay, this is the light at the end of the tunnel. But I don't think I truly understood, you know, the choice that people had, that people would actually choose not to be vaccinated. I I just, it's hard for me to understand because I believe in science and I believe in, you know, looking at research. But I watched this Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma, where they said that fake news actually spreads six times faster than real news because real right. news real news is boring and if mm. we look at the algorithms that drive social media it's like advertisers want to find things that people will look at it, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not so it's really unfortunate and the other thing is like your news feed is actually based off of what people you know click on and what you click on so right. you think that you're seeing all the same news as your friends about covid and vaccinations and how it works but we're actually not seeing the same thing and so that's a problem as well if we can't agree on what's true like how are we going to move out of this unless there's a strong government you know support of mandatory vaccinations and other public health measures no, I agree with you. And and here's this other thing that I'm going to throw. You know, I think some people might be like, oh, we're pro-government. We're pro, you know, senior leadership, pro-executives. Well, I, oh, let me stop you dead in your tracks to say that, you know, one of the things that I'd like to say, and, and you can kind of chime in too, is I think I have a healthy mistrust of the government as well. Like, I don't think they always have our best intentions at heart as evidenced by what's happening right now in Ontario with Doug Ford. Clearly, they have their own agendas. And I agree that, you know, there are governments that do some shady and evil stuff. But I, I always say to myself, okay, so what is what is the big conspiracy behind getting all people vaccinated? I, I, I really don't know what this crazy motivation and what what individuals might be thinking in terms of, you know, the government is out to get us. They're, they want this ultimate power. I mean you got an iPhone. <laughs> They're already spying on you through that. Like if, if your worry is, you know, conspiracies or, or they're trying to attack your body. Like, I mean, drop your phone, live in tin foil, like do all the things that other people would do if they're truly afraid of the government and afraid that the government is coming in and doing all these horrible things to you. Get off the grid, have no, on no, Twitter. no footprint, <laughs> no digital footprint whatsoever. I was thinking about this today and I'm like, 
I guess one of the arguments is like, oh, the government's going to profit. The, you know, big pharma's going to profit. You know what? The government is so much in deficit right now due to COVID that that is not the issue. Oh, let's talk about big pharma, for example. So they've developed, you know, there's Pfizer, there's Moderna, there's a whole other number of vaccines that have been developed. To be honest, you're worth more to big pharma alive than dead. So why would anybody want you dead? Because you are no longer going to be consuming any of their medications. Like one COVID vaccine is not that expensive. If they can get you on other medication, like diabetes, blood pressure medications, like you're worth way more to them taking that than you would be dead. So I just, I know that's so morbid, but that's what I was thinking about today. Like, I don't think there's any one industry that could profit from us continuing down this road. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And this is where, like, you know, if if you're so concerned about, you know, what they put in the vaccine or whatever, whatever the case may be, like, don't go get tattoos. Don't go dye your hair. Don't take, you know, multivitamins because they are not FDA approved. Like, there's all this, this stuff that you could throw at people that it's just, I think at the end of the day, People are going to choose something that they they feel that they need to have purpose and cause for. And some people have latched on to, you know, this anti-vax, anti-science movement. And that's what's giving them purpose. That's what's driving them. But the thing is, unfortunately, they're they're kind of going down a rabbit hole. They're going to cause people, they're going to cost people their lives. Like there's so many stories that we've seen where, you know, it it it's only bad now that it's affected me. Those are the those those aren't the stories that we really want to hear, right? I mean, it's it's unbelievable that we we've gotten to the point that we have. And I think that nothing speaks more volume than the fact that we can't we can't t- we can't just say you know we want to help our brother and we want to help our sisters we want to make sure that we're looking out for other people than what we've been seeing in this pandemic i can i i can't believe how that we're 18 months into this it's unreal one thing that i did want to mention though is i noticed this week that twitter now has a way that you can report misinformation or false post. And I think that is a good step in the right direction. I don't think that's the complete answer, though, but at least it looks like they're trying to do something about it. And the other thing is, the internet is a big, big, big place. So no matter how crazy your conspiracy theory is, or your fringe idea, you will find some community that supports that you can find it's called the black or the dark web or something. Yeah, yeah. And there's like entire groups, I'm sure on like, how the earth is flat and chemtrails and this (laughs) and that. But yeah, there's just something that needs to click for people to understand. Like, I'm all about freedom. I'm all about personal freedom. My personal opinion is my ticket to freedom is to get vaccinated so I can do the things that I want to do again. So I can travel again. So I can gather in large groups again. That's, That's me speaking. I am totally for personal freedoms because we really, I really want to get back to where we were before. But unless everybody thinks this way, then there are always going to be people that don't want to do something that they feel, you know, maybe harmful. And I don't know if it's misinformation or even even the whole argument about how before this week, it wasn't FDA approved. It was an emergency order. Now that it's been FDA approved, what do you think those people are going to say? I, I'm just really curious. Well, it's just that the it's just that they're going to shift the goalposts. And again, yeah, like, I mean, this whole disinfodemic or the whole like misinformation, it's one of the things that one of the ways that I get around it is, is I ask them for their sources, right? So for example, me and my cousin were actually having a little bit of a, a debate and an argument on our on our cousin's chat line. 
And uh, I think he, like, honestly, he's arguing with me for argument's sake. It's actually ridiculous. Because when I started asking him, like, where did you get that information? He's like, oh, you know, like a friend of a friend. And I'm like, what? What What are you saying? Are, are you telling me anecdotes? He's like, you know, it was like a friend of a friend who said, and I said, oh, my gosh. It's literally like you saying to me, well, um, this one time at band camp or, you know, <laughs> or, or, or even better, you know, this one person I know who knew of this other person who knew of this other other person it's like who are these people that you're actually talking about it's like you have no idea what you're talking about or just recently on twitter someone someone had cited something to me and i said hey you know post the source show me where you got this information from and he's like oh uh, i got it from i i think i got it from this place and i'm like again post the information post the source where did you get it from nothing okay so if you don't know where the information's coming from then you probably shouldn't use it yeah, and I think these days there's so much information out there. We're in the age of information. So a lot of times people just hear what they want to hear and they've missed everything else, right? And I think there's also something to be said about critically appraising research. So did you read an opinion piece by someone? Was this an article written by someone who doesn't have any subject matter expertise versus actual randomized controlled trials where large groups of people were involved? What were the limitations of the studies? If you read an actual research article, it talks about what the limitations of the study were, what the inclusion versus exclusion criteria were. And um, there's something called like systematic reviews, right, where you actually look at a whole bunch of research studies, and then you kind of put all the results together. And that's mm. really, that's really what people need to be looking for. But when I don't know. When I talk to someone that says they've done their research, I don't know what that means. It means a whole, <laughs> whole like different thing to different people. Like I, I you know, what? I'm <laughs> so glad that you said that. That is absolutely true. Because like when my when I again when I was talking to my cousin, he's like, I did my research. I'm like, what research? Like what 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 exactly are you talking about? And I'm not gonna and 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 this is not to minimize people who actually go and you know they're searching for scholarly articles or they're looking for peer reviewed journals or they're looking for you know evidence in the right place it's it's i'm kind of knocking the people who are like i did my research through anecdotes i did my research through a friend of a friend of a friend of mine or I did my research through watching the dark web because that's where the truth really lies and it's kind of like okay we're not we're not diving into conspiracy theories we're not diving into what ifs or anecdotes or or you know opinions of people who who don't really know the, the science behind some of this and there's it's it's crazy because there's such a plethora of good information of people who are tr trustworthy to listen to and it's just it, it you know what it actually circles back to a conversation where I, I really don't feel like having it but I think we have to talk about it other thing that I was seeing about in terms of the dumpster fire last week was nursing <sighs> why, why, why do we have this problem where there is this subset, small, but a subset nonetheless of nurses spreading misinformation? And I think these groups, nurses, physicians, they are the most dangerous group out there to spread misinformation because we're supposed to be trusted. People respect us. People look up to us. People believe that, you know, they're going to give us the right information, but nurses out there, and I've been seeing it time and time again, have been saying so much false shit that it's it's unreal. Yeah. For the first time in my 14-year career, I'm embarrassed about things like this because I've, I've worked so hard to be where I am. Nursing is 
a profession based on science. Like we're health sciences, literally, that's what we are. So how can you say that you're a nurse and continue to spread all this misinformation that's not rooted in science? And I actually think it's insulting to people whose profession is in research that have PhDs that actually do all this research and for people to disregard all of their work that they've put so much time and energy into, it's it's actually insulting and it's it's a waste of resource because if anybody could just go and Google everything, then why would we even need doctors or nurses or research or any of this? Like it's insulting to our whole profession. No, I agree. And I think if you take the time to even listen to what some of these people are saying, you could debunk it within the first like 30 seconds because they make it sound like they know what they're talking about, but they actually don't know what they're talking about. It's just weird because they're using the profession as, uh, you should trust me. I'm a nurse. I should know this. I, and it's just kind of crazy where some of these nurses don't work in ICUs. They don't work in emergency departments. They, they don't work in these areas where they'd see COVID patients and be like, well, it, it's not that bad. How do you know it's not th- that bad when you don't work in those clinical areas, when you've never stepped foot inside of an ICU or an ED? It's unreal. And I think I, I want to say more than just stop. Like I, I'm at the point where I'm super fed up and frustrated, where it's just like, you know what? Every nurse I see coming on online that's going to say some disinformation, I'm going to call them out because it's because, you know, what? I, I've just had it. I'm done with it. Mm hmm. So this kind of segues into something I wanted to talk about, which is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And this is actually a theory based on um, where where you meet people who believe that they are much smarter and more capable than they really are. So it's this kind of weird bell curve, which it like starts up high, dips down low, and then goes up high again. So the less expertise you have in something, you actually feel like you know a lot. But the funny thing is you don't know what you don't know. So people that actually have a little bit of knowledge and expertise, they tend to underestimate their abilities because they know what they don't know. And then when you're really an expert, which I don't claim to be, but let's say you have your PhD in infectious diseases and you've done all this work, then you can actually say like, I I do know what I'm talking about and I feel confident in it. But it's it's that part where you don't know a lot, where you feel like for whatever reason that you know more than everyone else, but there's absolutely no reason to believe that you're an expert. So these people tend to overestimate their own skill levels. They fail to recognize the genuine skill and expertise of other people. And they also fail to recognize their own mistakes and lack of skill. And I'm not saying that we're incompetent. I'm just saying that nursing is a very diverse profession. So if you don't actually work in that area, like I don't feel like you should necessarily be giving advice that contradicts what public health is saying. Well, that and the fact that, for example, my physiotherapist sent me a video and she's like, oh, you know, like I'm getting really confused. Could you just take a look at this video? And I was like, sure. And it was a nurse in the States who was talking about, oh my God, I'm not even going to get into the video, but she was just talking a whole bunch of crap. And I was just, and I said to her, I'm like, you know what? I'm not knocking nurses. I'm like, you know what? We both have our master's degree. I have my master's degree. Um, I understand what it's like to do research and, you know, and, and look at theories and understand, you know, the difference between different sciences and different, like understanding proper research and whatnot. Right. 
And I said to her, I said, you know what? I think this conversation that this individual is having is actually out of their scope of practice. And I'm like, out of their scope of practice for a, a variety of different reasons. I'm like, for the first, she identifies herself as like, I think she was like a pediatric nurse or whatever, talking about, and then she started talking about specific medications, how they work in the body. I'm like, that's why we have guests on our show. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'm like, we don't claim to know it all. We have our opinions. We let people know that this is our opinion. But then we we get guests to talk about these things because they have expertise in those areas. And I said to her, I said, you know what? You have to take these things with a grain of salt. This video specifically, if she's talking about like ivermectin and all these crazy drugs that, you know, are unfounded and that don't work. Um, those are your red flags. And I'm like, you know, just just hit delete and don't watch anymore. Right. And here, let me take the opportunity to send you some stuff that actually is evidence-based or that, that, you know, talks about things based in research. And I mean, as much as we talk, we have our opinions, we, we, we talk about our expertise in nursing and in, in various different areas. We still have guests that come on our show because we know that they're the experts in that specific field, or they have, they have something else that they can tr contribute to the conversation. With nursing doing this, it's just, it's really disheartening because there's a, it's actually a double-edged sword. So the other thing that I was seeing were people now bashing nurses. So being like telling nurses to shut up online, stay in your lane, you shouldn't be talking when nurses were talking about, you know, things that actually made sense. And now it's just like, okay, well, it just gives this really bad look to nursing on a whole that is just like, you know, these people are unintelligent. Why are we, why were, why would we even listen to them in the first place? Yeah, it's really disheartening because we had a guest on our show recently, uh, a physician, and I asked him, do you know of any other doctors who are openly anti-vaccination or anti-mask? And what he said to me was, yeah, there's a few, but they're ostracized. <laughs> and that actually made me really sad because yeah. I don't see that happening with nurses. We are not... I mean, I, I don't know if ostracize is the right word, but when a nurse comes out as anti-vax, the reaction is not what I think it should be. And it's certainly not what it would be if it was a physician yeah. saying that they were anti-vax or anti-mask. And the other thing is I've noticed that nobody wants to be labeled as anti-vax. So they're like, you know, I'm not anti-vax. I'm just not sure about the long-term effects of the COVID vaccine. So I'm like, if you're openly not getting it and you're not doing anything to educate yourself on the issues that you don't understand, what does that make you? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking too much. In, like, does that make you vaccine hesitant? But if you're hesitant, but you're not actively doing anything to address it, then you're not vaccinated. I don't know. This is all these are all new terms, right, that have come up over the last year and a half. Yeah, no. And I, I agree. I just... It's it's a problem that we have and it's a problem that we need to fix. And I I don't know if that means going back to nursing curriculum or, you know, is there a certain percentage of nurses uh, based on age graph, demography, um, political affiliation that have that hold more anti-vax or anti-science types of beliefs? Like, I think that's a good question to have. And again, this is where I, I point to nursing schools and and, you know, people who are who have who are going to be educating nurses to really start looking at, you know, I remember in my fourth year, I only had one um, research research course. It was like a half credit course in my fourth year. And maybe we just need to make that 
much more robust. Maybe it should be something that's built into every year, first, second, third, fourth year, where you build on the concept of research. So when it comes to that fourth year, you actually understand what it is to critically apprise a paper or, you know, what does, what does a meta analysis, what does systematic review look like? What do we have a better way of understanding it as opposed to condensing it all into the end? And I think maybe that will help with some of the misinformation. I feel like the, maybe I'm being biased here, but I feel like some of the, um, no, actually I'm not going to say that, but anyways, I just, I don't know. It's a huge problem. I don't know where, how to fix it, but I think that maybe if we start with the education curriculum, we might see some change there. Yeah. And one thing that I also wanted to point out is if you feel intimidated by trying to look for research articles, or maybe it's hard to understand the language or the way it's written, I I noticed that when I go to look at the Cochrane reviews now, so Cochrane reviews is what we consider the gold standard for research and systematic reviews. They actually summarize now in plain language. So it's not as difficult to understand all the terms. So even someone that's not in healthcare would probably be able to read the results of this review and understand what they're saying. So I think there's a big push in healthcare now towards health literacy and making written material more accessible to, you know, people of all different levels of um, education. If you feel like you don't understand someone or you don't understand something, just reach out, see if there is a way that you can find information that's easier to understand because that might be a challenge too. People who are who have been in their field for a long time don't want to admit that they A, don't know how to do it or B, don't understand the results being presented to them. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think the other piece that we've always said and we're always open to having conversations too. As much as we're, we could be very frustrated by some of the things that we see online and some of the things that we hear. If someone genuinely reaches out to us and says, "Hey, you know, um, this is my stance. I'm scared," or you know, "This is the information I have. Dispel it," or you know, "Point me in the right direction." We're happy to have those conversations. Like, I mean, I think that, like I said, uh, there's a there's a going to be a very small subset of people who. It doesn't matter what you say, you're not going to change their mind. But I, again, I think I, I'd be encouraged to still talk to others who might be sitting on the fence or, you know, or scared or whatever the case may be to have those types of conversations with them. So, I mean, I'm willing to put in the work. I think that that's all I can say. Maybe let's kind of move on to another topic related to mandatory vaccines. So we've talked a little bit about that. And maybe we'll make our stance a little bit more clear, I think, or maybe I think we're, we're pretty clear on the fact that we, we do agree with mandatory vaccination in the healthcare world and, and in education. I think if you're working with vulnerable people, it's important to have your vaccine. And again, I think this is where people are getting really upset because they're like, oh, you know, my body, my choice. Well, you know, someone who's sick doesn't have the choice to come into the hospital. It's not like a restaurant where, you know, you can choose to go to that Kelsey's based on the vaccination policies or policies that they don't have, because, you know, that's the risk that you're willing to take. That's the risk that you're willing to assume. But when you're sick and coming to the hospital, I mean, I think that we should mitigate as much risk as we can. And if we could mitigate the risk of, you know, exposing uh, someone to COVID-19 in the hospital, I think that's a risk worth mitigating because we've seen the devastation and what happens when there are outbreaks. Look no further than the first wave of long-term care. It's it's easy for people to forget because it's just like, oh, you know, that was then. No, it still was something like over 5,000 deaths. That is insane. And it shouldn't matter what age they are. We need to protect, we need to protect people who are coming in that are vulnerable. 
And if you feel that that's not something you want to do because your body or your choice or your it feels that it's impinging on your rights and freedoms, then I think that healthcare may not be the best position or best job for you at this time. Yeah. And and like you said, Amy, no one is going to hold you down and stick you with needle. We're not talking yeah. about that. You always have a choice. You have a choice not to work directly with patients. You have a choice not to work in a high risk environment. You have a choice not to work as a nurse. Like these are choices that you can make. You can find another way to make a living if it really comes down to it. And of course, we're not talking about medical exemptions. Like that's a whole other story. Yeah. But just think about if your loved one, if your grandparent was in the hospital, would you want them to be looked after by someone who was unvaccinated by their own choice. And the other thing is like nurses who have been vaccinated feel uncomfortable working with colleagues that have not been vaccinated. That was something that I thought about this week, actually. One of Mm -hmm. our colleagues posted a tweet about that. She feels uncomfortable even working with her own colleagues who have chosen not to be fully vaccinated. And that is a very stressful environment to be in. You're working closely with these people. You might be eating in the same lunchroom with them. Like you're, you're in the locker room with them. That is that is a whole other level of stress. And it's like, how do you even have that conversation? Because everybody is so on edge about this right now. Yeah. And look at that. Like we still get messages. So look at the, look at the messages that we get from nurses and other people in allied health, you know, situations where they might be sitting in a lunchroom and there are nurses that work at an ICU saying that, you know, they're not going to put this poison in their body. They are working with critically ill patients, patients that have COVID-19. I'd be so concerned if that was that that was the attitude and that was the way that they were talking about it, knowing that like maybe my family member was there. I'd be terrified. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you don't have a monopoly on your job. Like you there's competition. You apply for your job, other people apply, you interview if they like you and you meet the the skills and qualifications, then you get the job. But the job isn't promised to you. You can be let go for a variety of reasons. And you know what? This is a really complex, highly complex situation. This is unlike anything that we've ever dealt with before. Like one of the things that actually Jordan had pointed out to me, Jordan's my husband, by the way, um, was that like pandemics happen within every hundred years or so. So this is really still like we're still trying to figure this out. And I think we need to do, we need to look at those precautionary principles. We need to do what we can to protect people who are vulnerable. And we have to also be cognizant again, that one third of the population, primarily children under the age of 12 are not vaccinated as well. So it kind of circles back to, you know, looking at education workers and educate and and teachers and being like, okay, what are we doing? Why aren't we mandating vaccines there? And I applaud the teachers union for saying, hey, we all want mandatory vaccination because you know what? I'm looking at September and I'm like, I don't even know if my kids are going to go. That's disheartening for me because knowing that I have the last two years has been a shit show. Let's, let's not even, let's not even joke, right? Like at the end of the day, it has been super stressful on not just me. Like it's been hard on our family. It's been hard on our kids. It's been, it's just been crazy. And then couple that with having children with disabilities. Like, I mean, uh, Tristan's schooling is quite complex in the fact that, you know, he has, he gets, he has ABA or IBA, I think it's ABA, or he has speech therapy. He has other, 
other therapists that come in to support him. And then also having a son with ADHD. Do you know what it's like to have a child with ADHD and try to sit them in front of a computer for six hours? I've had a small taste of your kids and I can't imagine even doing that for like one day. Your husband is so patient. This was actually what my husband said. He's like, Jordan is so patient with his kids. Like, I don't know how he does it. I mean, at the end of the day, like we still have to work. Jordan's going back to school full time. And like, you know, how, how do we manage this? Like, this is this is unsustainable. And I think that maybe maybe the unvaxxed people think that, you know, we're being selfish. And it's like, no, we just want to get back to some semblance of normalcy. So just take the vaccine. Let's get on with our lives so we can, you know, have it as we could put our kids in to school and know that they're going to be safe. We can send our families to the hospital and not have to worry about them getting infected with COVID-19 while they're there. We just, we want this over just as much as they do. Yeah. And let's just separate out. So like, I'm thinking about nurses that are pushing back against the vaccine. We need to separate out the reason why they don't want to get it. So they're talking about like, oh, you know, are they trying to take a stand against the government or their employer or both? Because stamping your foot down and saying, I'm not doing it because you told me I have to, that's different than actually saying like, I don't want it because of some other reason. Like if it's right. for that, we want to get out of this as soon as possible. It, this is a group effort. And if if vaccinations can't be mandated in a way that makes sense, I'm just thinking about how some of the wording is, right? So you get vaccinated and you show proof of vaccination. That is that is one option. Number two is you have a medical exemption and you have documentation to prove. Okay, fine. The other one is you can do an e-module to talk about the risks of not getting it. And that's <laughs> that's that's an option. Okay, so let's let's call out the truth about e-modules. Nurses barely do them at the best of times, okay? Like this whole e-module thing. I, I, I don't get it. Like, it's just. It's a, it's a cop out. It's a cop. It out. really is. At yeah. the end of the day, you're right. It's a cop out. Like here, do this e-learning module where you can skip, 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 absolve the, the organization of your risk and liability. And, you know, everyone's happy at the end of the day. No, there's still people that aren't happy because you're, we're still dealing with the same problem of unvaccinated people working with vulnerable people. And then, you know, I've heard the argument where it's like, oh, how are we going to know that it was the unvaxxed person that gave that patient COVID-19? Well, it's, it's quite simple. It's called root cause analysis. And that is what we do when we do investigations as to why a patient might have received a, a hospital infection, a hospital acquired infection. And for the most part, we could boil it right down to who the patient received it from. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like those are just excuses. We just need to get ahead of this. Why are we in this reactive model of healthcare? Like just, it's, we talk about, oh, primary healthcare. This is, this is great. Here's the things that you could do to prevent this. But then we're like, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're literally just going to react to the, the, the modeling. We're going to react to the climbing cases. We're going to just wait till, you know, the shit hit the, hits the fan. And then we're going to lock everything down. Like we need to move towards a model where we're being much more proactive. Getting a vaccine is proactive. We need to try to prevent this from getting way worse than it already is. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm going to say now, Amy? Oh, dear. No, I don't. Where do we go from here? What are our tangible actions that we can take? We say this at every episode. Uh... So this is this is the age old question. Like, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Well, courageous conversations, right? Um, 
we have to continue talking. Again, when it comes to people who are unvaccinated, again, why? Give give us the explanations. What is the main reason? What is your fear? What is what is preventing you? What are what are the barriers that are stopping you from taking this vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we need to have the conversations if people are willing to. I have to be honest. I'm going to throw this one out there where, you know, I had recently seen a video of, it was a restaurant in Toronto. I can't remember specifically. There's this one particular anti-vax woman. And she's like the one where you see her at like the Adams barbecue. She's always the one that is, she's like this loud mouth Karen really (laughs) coming out strong yelling. And the video I saw, she was, um, there was like three white women. They were sitting, you know, just trying to enjoy their drinks at this restaurant. And she's, walking back and forth with her her iPhone yelling at the uh, the vaccinated people and the, I guess this restaurant might have been asking for proof of vaccination I, I could be wrong but as soon as she's she's they feel feel that they have the right to protest and people are like well you know they're really disrupting the peace they're disrupting people trying to eat peacefully and she goes and approaches one of uh, the, these three white women sitting down. And she's she's like, oh, you're you look like a this nerdy this nerdy white bitch. And she like puts the phone in this woman's face and and she touches her and she's like, get the phone out of my face. And this woman touches her and starts saying, you know, I'll spit on you, I'll spit on you. Whoa, where are we going? Like, what are we doing? How did we come to this as a society? Come to this. So like, yeah. let me say, like, I have to. I wish I could meet this woman. I'm not the woman who was yelling because I I could tell you, like, I mean. The woman who was sitting down had the resolve of like a saint because she she didn't she didn't raise her voice. She didn't smack the woman back. She she sat there quietly. She didn't even spill her drink, Sarah. She had a like a cocktail. She didn't oh, even spill okay. It. I know where her priorities are. <laughs> She's like, I need to hold this drink. But like what where where have we come to? I think this is where we need to talk about how we can move forward as a society and how we can move forward to respecting people just just basic level respect you may have a different viewpoint than me you may not see eye to eye with my opinion or my beliefs but when does it get to or how did we get to hitting people's phones smacking at people threatening to spit at people in people's faces where's the compassion if you think about how many people you know, whether it's in real life or whether it's on social media, chances are you know somebody, whether you know it or not, that is anti-vax. And yeah. it's like having these conversations, whether it's in person or online, I think we need to keep in mind that everyone is still human and they do de- deserve a certain amount of respect. So right. trying to keep your emotions in check when you're having these courageous conversations. Um, don't be dismissive because as much as you want to, that's just going to push that person further away to not hear what you're trying to say. Encourage critical thinking. Like, okay, mm-hmm. so you think it's going to poison. Like, why do you think that? Where did you get that information? The problem is that people that believe in conspiracy theories, they often say they do their own research. The problem with that is, is involves watching fringe YouTube videos, following random people on Facebook, and cherry-picking evidence-based information. And you know what? Don't expect immediate results. It is something that you may have to gradually chip away at. But if they're willing to talk to you still, then 
and you're willing to, you know, put the time and energy into that person, then continue to do so. And maybe it's just something as simple as finding someone that they can relate to, someone of the same ethnicity, the same gender, the same um, religious affiliation. I hate to say it, even the same political beliefs or political right. party. Like, like if there's someone that they can relate to and they trust, that might help them, you know, go on to the side of the fence where we're trying to get them to go, which is to follow the science, follow the evidence, do what we can to make society better again. No, I agree. And I think that um, the other piece that, you know, in terms of taking takeaways is we have to talk about mental health, right? Like, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole um, conversation of what a healthcare collapse may look like, because I believe that we're getting closer and closer to what that actually may be. Like there are hospitals that talk about shutting down certain subsets of their ER because they just don't have the staff. Right. And, and there's I mean, actually I, hospitals, sorry to interrupt. There's hospitals, yeah. smaller community hospitals that are not making it into the media that actually shut their emergency departments off for, you know, a weekend at a time because they don't have staff. So yeah. if that's not scary enough to you, I don't know what is. And well, the fact is like ICU numbers are not increasing that much yet but I'm sure that with all the nurses that have left we're still we're at a shortage already even though the numbers haven't gone up the staff have left so we're really in the same situation we were before yeah and this whole like we, we said it too mandatory vaccination isn't what is making nurses leave the profession yes there'll be a couple nurses that leave or get fired because they choose to be unvaccinated and want and 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 um they feel they have a right to work with vulnerable people, but we, we know the jury is out on that and that is just unsafe, but nurses are leaving because they are, they're fed up. They're done. They have there. It's beyond this, the word of burnout. It is now they, they can see the disrespect. They can see the fact that they're not being listened to and they're over it. They're just like, I'm over it. I'm over it. And I think that, you know, in terms of tangibility, we have to talk about retention. We have to talk about how we can keep nurses in this profession. How do we keep people coming back knowing that it's a shit show every single shift, but that they're needed, they're respected, they're heard, and that they're wanted. Organizations need to talk about mental health and we need to talk about better pay, better supports for nurses. Like the government needs to step its game up huge to, to retain nurses at this point. And my last takeaway point is to model behavior that you want to see, right? I think that's what you and myself always continue to do. We continue to advocate and talk openly about, you know, um, what keeps us up at night, but also trying to get involved. So whether that is, you know, reaching out to your MP or your MBPs, um, becoming um, a force to be reckoned with on Twitter, you know, using your using your evidence based knowledge to dispel myths on social media because that's where a lot of the the drama is happening, right? That's a, where a lot of the um, the misinformation is, right? And MP MPP really just stands for um, political leader. If you're not listening from Canada, so just be aware of what's happening politically. Get involved any way you can. If there's a professional association you can join that's already started. A movement, you know, just join in on that. You don't have to start this from nothing. 
Absolutely. And I think that, that again, I think, you know, find other voices like yours, find other people that you can build a community with to say, Hey, you know, what, what else, how, how best can I contribute to, you know, health literacy, health advocacy, um, you know, equity, health equity, and, and get involved because I think that staying silent is definitely no longer an option. We have to raise our voices. We have to, to say something. Otherwise, you know, we will continue seeing the status quo. We will continue to be doormats and be stepped on and not heard. And I think that if there is, there is no better time than now to get your voices heard. Canada, US, England, wherever you're listening, it's the time is now.